Welcome to the Joseph Smith Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring more than a half century's worth of devotionals and forums exploring the prophet's life and teachings. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This is a beautiful sight, my brethren and sisters, and I'm happy to greet you here on this first assembly after you've come back from your holiday season. I hope you've had a great time and brought back with you much of the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of the Christ child, which was certainly evident in that which you did, and that you are now on your way, well, to a successful and happy new year. This is a very special time of the year, this holiday season, Christmas and New Year's, and all that goes with it. I trust we have been greatly blessed by the spirit of Christmas and the Christ child, and that it may be a means of stimulating our lives and blessing us throughout the remainder of the year. It will be very interesting to know what some of your goals and resolutions are in the new year. And always, we, we shouldn't always wait until the new year to make resolutions. That seems to be a good time to do it, but repentance is important any time of the year. I like some of the verses that I have read recently, and particularly these, which are entitled, A Clean New Book. Midnight strikes and the old year is gone. We close the tablet we've written on. And torn, twixt hope and doubt and fear, we open the books of an unlived year. An unlived year, ah, stained with tears, are the well-thumbed volumes of other years. Soiled by blunders and black regrets are the pages we read with our eyelids wet. Close in our hearts, as the leaves are turned, is the record of passion that flared and burned, and panic and sorrow and ghosts that leered from out the pages of the dying year. But fresh in our hands once more is laid a clean new book by the master made. Unmarred are the pages lying there, twelve new chapters fresh and fair. It is ours to write the daily tale of how we conquer and how we fail, of struggle and effort and hope and that wakes like a sun in the heart when the bright, bright day breaks. Once a year, when the glad bell rings and the old year nods to the baby king, fresh in our hands with the title clear and the leaves uncut is an unlived year. Florence French wrote these verses, and they might be particularly applicable to those who may not have done so well last semester. I would like to change the picture I painted yesterday. The harsh tones would be muted, the backgrounds be less gray. The leafless trees of winter would take on a tint of spring. The silent ice-bound river would be a sparkling thing. The scarlet tanger would replace the starling's somber shade. The pink of wild roses would uh, fill the space where drifting leaves pervade. I cannot change the picture I painted yesterday, but I can make a new one, and I'll begin today. The story is told of a man who 
had been in a penitentiary and made the application to Henry Ford for employment. He decided to tell Mr. Ford about his past as he made application. He had not been as honest on several other occasions as he had applied, and after he was hired and working with his employer, his employer found out about it and, and released him. So now he started to tell Mr. Ford of his past. Mr. Ford stopped him and said, I don't care about the past. Start where you stand. Bertram Bradley put these thoughts to verse. Start where you stand and never mind the past. The past won't help you in beginning anew. If you have left it all behind, why, that's enough. You've done with it. You're through. This is another chapter in the book. This is another race you have planned. Don't give the vanished day a backward look. Start where you stand. The words, the world won't care about your old defeats if you can start anew and win success. The future is that your time and time is fleet and there is much of work and strain and stress. Forget the buried woes and dead despairs. Here's a brand new trial right at hand. The future is for him who does and dares. Start where you stand. Old failures will not halt, old triumphs aid. Today's the thing, tomorrow soon will be. Get in the fight and face it unafraid and leave the past to ancient history. What has been has been, yesterday is dead, and by it you were neither blessed nor banned. Take courage, man, be brave and drive ahead. Start where you stand. Repentance is one of the greatest principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is another important event that we often lose track of in the busy holiday season, or we make little of it. I refer to the birthday of the Prophet Joseph Smith, which is on the 23rd of December. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we recognize Joseph Smith as a prophet of God through whom the Church was restored in this dispensation. No one is more revered by us save Jesus Christ himself. Even though we revere him as our prophet and founder of the Church, It is unlikely that we comprehend completely his true greatness. May I share with you a few of his attributes and the virtues that made him one of the greatest men that ever lived upon the face of the earth. John Henry Evans wrote of Joseph Smith, Here's a man who was born in the Stark Hills of Vermont, who was reared in the backwoods of New York, who never looked inside a college or high school, who lived in six states, no one of which would own him during his lifetime, who spent months in the vile prisons of the period, who even when he had his freedom was hounded like a fugitive, who was covered once with a coat of tar and feather and left for dead, who was with his following, following, was driven by irate neighbors from New York to Ohio, from Ohio to Missouri, and from, from Missouri to Illinois, and who at the time, at the unripe age of 38, was shot to death by a mob with painted faces. Yet this man became the mayor of the biggest town in Illinois and the state's most prominent citizen, the commander of the largest body of trained soldiers in the nation outside the federal army, the founder of cities and of a university, and aspired to become the president of the United States. He wrote a book which has baffled the literary critics for a hundred years and would uh, 
uh, and which is today more widely read than any other volume save the Bible. On the threshold of an organizing age, he established the most perfect social mechanism in modern world and developed a religious philosophy that challenged anything of its kind in history for completeness and cohesion. And he set up the machinery for an economic system that would take the brood and fear out of the hearts of, uh, of man. The fear for want through sickness, old age, unemployment, and poverty. In 30 nations are men and women who look upon him as a greater leader than Moses and a greater prophet than Isaiah. His disciples now number close to a million, and we would have to alter that, bring it up to date, and say nearly four million. And already a granite shaft pierces the sky over the place where he is born, and another over the place where he is credited with having received the inspiration for the book." End quote. Joseph Smith occupies a unique place among prophets. His birth and his name, Joseph, were known nearly 4,000 years before he came to earth. Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, said of this great latter-day prophet, Thus saith the Lord unto me, A choice seer will I raise up. Behold, that seer will the Lord bless, and his name shall be called after me, and it shall be called after the name of his father, and he shall be likened to me. For the things which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord shall bring my people unto salvation." Yea, thus prophesied Joseph, I am sure of these things. Not only was the prophet Joseph's birth known, but after his death, the Lord caused to be written, to have written and included in the scriptures, the following. Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more save Jesus Christ only for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived upon it. He lived, he lived great, and he died great in the eyes of God and his people, and like most of the Lord's anointed in ancient time, has sealed his mission and his work with his own blood." End quote. Dr. John A. Widsell, one of the, uh, uh, said of the prophet Joseph, "...since I struggled as a boy to find the church and the message of Joseph Smith, I have been overwhelmed by the greatness of this prophet." He towered above all men by his great teachings. Of course, he was a man of the frailties of the flesh, but he so lived that God spoke to men through him. Indeed, he is the biggest man in the history of the world since the Savior lived among men nearly 2,000 years ago. He was a magnificent type of man. The prophet stands unique among the religious leaders of the world, for in practically all of the world, all of his works, in the restoration, he had witnesses, Mohammed, Buddha, Confucius as examples. Each established his work without witnesses, but not so with the prophet Joseph. There were witnesses in the gold, to the gold plates and to the Book of Mormon, in the visitation of heavenly personages, and in the receiving of many of the revelations. His work was inaugurated not by him alone, but by and with witnesses. His teachings cleared up many misconceptions, and any man who honestly investigates the prophet in his work must come to a conviction that it, it was indeed, he was indeed a prophet of God. Few, possibly few tributes have been given uh, of the prophet greater than that of Josiah Quincy in his figures of the past, in which he said it is by no means improbable that in some future textbook 
for the use of generations yet unborn will contain the question something like this. What historical American of the 19th century has exerted the most powerful influence upon the destiny of his countrymen? And it is by no means impossible that the answer to this interrogatory may be thus written, Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet. And the reply, absurd as it doubtless seems to most men now living, may be an obvious commonplace to their descendants. History deals in surprises and paradoxes quite as startling as this. The man who established the religion in this age of free debate and who, and, uh, who was and is today accepted by hundreds of thousands as a direct emissary from the Most High, such a rare human being is not to be disposed of by pelling his memory with unsavory epitaphs." End quote. A Russian historian once visited the United States for something over a year studying the history of great Americans and American institutions. As he was about to board his ship to return to his native land, newspapermen interrogated him. One of them asked him this question, in your study of great Americans during the past year, which of them do you consider the greatest? And his answer was startling. He said, you have only had one truly great American, one man who gave to the world ideas that could change the whole destiny of the human race, Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet. The prophet was tried and tested and suffered many indignities. He was arrested, uh, he was falsely arrested 42 times, but was always cleared by the law of the land. He was tarred in feathers. He spent nearly six months in Liberty Jail in terrible conditions and with food not fit for human consumption. Parley Pete Pratt said of one of these occasions, in one of these tedious nights, we had lain as if in sleep until the hour of midnight had passed and our ears and, uh, and, and hearts had been pained while we listened to for hours to the obscene jests and the horrible oaths, the dreadful blasphemy and the filthy language of the guards about us as they recounted to each other the deeds of rapine, murder, robbery, etc., which they had committed among the Mormons while at far western vicinity. They boasted openly of defiling uh, by force, wives and daughters and virgin, and of shooting and, and da are dashing out the brains of men and women and of children. I had listened till I became so disgusted and shocked and horrified and so filled with the spirit of indignant justice I could scarcely refrain from rising upon my feet and rebuking the guards, but had said nothing to Joseph or anyone else there, although I lay next to him and knew he was awake. On a, on a sudden he rose to his feet and spoke in the voice of thunder or as a roaring lion uttering as nearly as I can recollect the following words silence ye fiends of the infernal pit in the name of Jesus Christ I rebuke you and command you to be still I will not live another minute and hear such language cease such talk or you or I die this instant he, he ceased to speak he stood he erect in terrible, in, in terrible majesty, chained and without weapons, calm, unruffled, and dignified as an angel. He looked upon the quailing guards whose weapons were lowered or dropped to the ground, whose knees smote together and who shrunk in a corner or crouched to, at, their feet, uh, at his feet begging his pardon, pardon and uh, uh, remain quiet until a change of guard. I have seen ministers of justice clothed in magisterial robes 
and the criminals arrayed before them while life was suspended on the on a breath in the courts of England. I have witnessed a Congress in solemn assembly to give laws to nations. I have tried to conceive of kings, of royal courts, of thrones and crowns, and of emperors assembled to decide the fate of kingdoms. But dignity and majesty have I seen but once, as I stood in, as I stood in chains at midnight in a dungeon in an obscure village in Missouri. One of the tests of a true prophet is whether his prophecies come true. Elder John A. Widso, in his book, Joseph Smith the Prophet, makes an interesting statement about the prophecies of Joseph Smith. He says, from the revelations printed in the Doctrine and Covenants are found 1,100 statements that may be classified as prophecies of the future. Nearly 700 are of a spiritual nature. The other 400 deal directly with the things of the earth. I will mention only five of the well-known prophecies to which we've all made frequent references, I'm sure. He predicted that three witnesses should see the gold plates and should testify of their experience. He prophesied to Stephen A. Douglas in 1843 that the time would come when he, Stephen A. Douglas, would aspire to the presidency of the United States, but if he turned his hand against the Latter-day Saints, he would feel the weight of the Almighty upon him. The rest is history. Douglas did turn his hand against the saints, and he went down to political defeat and died an embittered man. In 1832, the prophet Joseph prophesied that war would shortly come to pass, beginning in the rebellion of South Carolina, and that the states, uh, southern states would be divided against the northern states, and etc. He prophesied in the same revelation that the time would come when war would be poured out upon all nations. World War I and World War II and what has followed after have been vindications of his place as a foreteller of events. In 1842 he prophesied that the saints would be driven to the Rocky Mountains and some would assist in making statements and building cities, uh, making settlements and building cities and see the saints become a mighty people in the midst of the Rocky Mountains. But beyond being merely a foreteller of events, what is it that characterizes a true prophet of God? First, he is God's mouthpiece of the day and to his group. Second, he restates the ancient truths and seeks to hold the people to unchanging laws of the gospel. Third, he receives additional revelation from the Lord to meet the problems and progressive unfolding plan. Such new truths emanate from deity, come only through the prophet of the day. Such a man was Joseph Smith, in every sense a prophet of God. Yes, truly the prophet Amos said, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, save he revealeth his secrets to his servants, the prophets. End quote. Miracles as great as those in the Meridian Dispensation were accomplished by the prophet Joseph Smith during his life. Wilford Woodruff gives an account of some of the healings and the great miracles that took place or to which he was a witness. He said, while I was living in his cabin in, in the old barracks, we experienced the day of God's power with Joseph Smith on that occasion. It was a very sickly time and Joseph had been Given up, had given up his home in commerce to the sick. 
and had a tent pitched in his dooryard and was living in that himself. A large number of the saints had been driven out of Missouri and were flocking into commerce, but had no home to go to. They were living in wagons, in tents, and on the ground. Many, therefore, were sick through exposure that they were subjected to. Brother Joseph had waited on the sick till he himself was worn out and was nearly sick. In the morning of the 22nd of July, 1839, he arose reflecting upon the situation of the saints of God in their persecutions and afflictions, and he called upon the Lord in mighty prayer. And the power of God rested upon him mightily. And, and as Jesus healed all the sick around him in his day, so did Joseph, the prophet of God, heal all the sick on this occasion. He healed all that were in his house and the dooryard. Then in company with Sidney Rigdon he's, and several of the twelve, he went through among the sick, lying on the bank of the river. And he commanded them in a loud voice in the name of Jesus Christ to come up and be made whole. And they were all healed. When he healed all that were sick in the east side of the river, he crossed the Mississippi River in a ferry boat to the west side, to Montrose, where we were. The whole house, the first house he went into was President Brigham Young's. He was sick at the time in his bed. The prophet went into his house and healed him, and they all came out together. He then, uh, as they were passing by my door, Brother Joseph said, Brother Woodruff, follow me. These were the only words spoken by any of the company from the time we left Brother Brigham's house until we crossed the public square and entered Brother Elijah uh, Fordham's house. Brother Fordham had been dying for an hour and was expected each minute would be the last. I felt the power of God that was overwhelming his prophet. When we entered the house, Brother Joseph walked up to Brother Fordham and took him by the right hand. He saw that Brother Fordham's eyes were glazed and that he was speechless and unconscious. After taking hold of his hand, he looked down into the dying man's face and said, Brother Fordham, do you know me? At first he made no reply. But we could see the effect of the Spirit of God resting upon him. He then he again said, Elijah, do you know me? With a low whisper, Brother Fordham answered, Yes. The prophet then said, Have you not faith to be healed? The answer, which was a little plainer than before, was, I am afraid it's too late. If you had come sooner, I think it might have been. He had the appearance of a man awaking from sleep. It was the sleep of death. Joseph then said, Do you believe in Jesus the Christ? I do, Brother Joseph, was the re response. Then the prophet of God spake in a loud voice, as in the majesty of the Godhead, Elijah, I command you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth to arise and be made whole. The words of the prophet were not like the words of man, but like the voice of God. It seemed to be that the house shook from its very foundation. Elijah Fordham leaped from his bed like a man raised from the dead. A healthy color came to his face. Life was manifest in every act. His feet were done up in Indian meal poultices. He kicked them off in his feet and then called for his clothes and put them on. He asked for a bowl of bread and milk and ate it. And they, and they put on his hat and he followed them into the street to visit others who were sick. As soon as we left Brother Fordham's house, we went into the house of Joseph Noble who was very low and dangerously sick. 
When we entered into his house, Brother Joseph took him by the hand and commanded him in the name of Jesus Christ to rise and be made whole. He did rise and was immediately healed. While waiting for a ferry boat, a man of the world, knowing of the miracles which had been performed, came to him and asked if he could come and heal his two twin children who were seriously sick. Uh, they were both lying near death. They were some two miles from Montrose. The prophet said he couldn't go, but after pausing for a time, he said he would send someone to heal them. And he turned to me and said, you go with this man and heal his children. He took a silk handkerchief from his pocket and gave it to me and told me to wipe their faces after I had administered to them and they would be healed. He also said to me, as long as you keep this handkerchief, it will remain a league between you and me. I went with the man and did as the prophet commanded me, and the children were healed. I still possess that handkerchief to this day." End quote. Few men have had the privilege of seeing God the Father and Christ while in mortal life, as did the prophet Joseph Smith. Few have been so honored with the great manifestations as he was. President Harold B. Lee said, of the prophet Joseph Smith in the General Conference of the Church shortly before he passed away. Many have belittled Joseph Smith and those who have will be forgotten in the remains of Mother Earth and their infamy will be ever with them. But honor, majesty, and fidelity to God attached to Joseph Smith's name and exemplified by him will never die. There are those who would say I cannot accept, I, I can accept everything in the church except that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. Or, I could belong to your church if you would do away with the principle of continued revelation. It is difficult for me to understand how one could accept the gospel without accepting him who was the instrument in its restoration, or to reject the principle of continued revelation upon which the church is founded. It's important that each of us come to know for ourselves individually that Joseph Smith was and is a prophet of God, that he did see God in Christ and was an instrument in the establishment of the church in this dispensation. May I leave with you my witness of this fact, that I know that he did that day in the grove see God the Father and the Son, and that he through that he was their instrument in the establishment of this work. And I leave you that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Joseph Smith Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches classic speeches, and BYU speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.